0: MSW Media.
1: We'll pour yourself a glass, sit for a spill. It's time to have some fun. Let's do a little
2: thinking, some picking and a drinking. But well, this is what we're drinking with and
3: Welcome to the show. I'm Dan Dunn, and I am so excited to have you here. I'm so excited that I just screwed off that bottle. You heard it? No, that was that was our guest. He's very rude. No, uh, I'm I'm actually, I am joined by somebody right off the top of the bat because I, this is such a big show. I, I needed some help with the heavy lifting here. Couldn't do it by myself. He's uh, one of the best booze scribes in the business. He's a good buddy of mine. He writes for Forbes and the Wall Street Journal and the um, – Na- Nambla times. Is it Nambla times? Are you on there? No.
4: Yeah. I mean, you know, that's not one of the top three that I would include, but yeah.
3: Brad Jaffe, everybody. Brad, thanks for joining us, my friend.
4: Thanks so much, Dan, for having me.
3: What are you sipping there? What are you drinking?
4: Oh man, this is the Bushmills 21. This would be my favorite uh, Irish, which probably of all time. Um, it's just not a smart choice because it kind of makes me a little quiet. And I know you're looking a little conversation right now i
3: know i you you can be as quiet or as loud as you want to be so obviously we're not doing this in person because of covid brad is uh holed up in hawaii the big island right
4: yeah just uh to do i've been here since early march but i figured uh this is a long plan long-term plan that it gives me a special insight here with the cocktail culture to talk about some of the uh things that you have on your list that we might be coming to
3: and he just said it right there. We got a list. This is uh, the first of a two parts. We're gonna we got another episode coming up. It is the definitive list of the twenty most important cocktails ever. What were drinking's twenty most important cocktails ever. Note that I said most important. I didn't say best. Influential, change the scene. That yeah, exactly. They're, okay. they're, these are cocktails that. Uh, th- to be honest with you, Brad, some of these cocktails I don't even necessarily like. In fact, there is one <laughs> drink on. There's a cocktail on this list, high up on this list too, that I've never had. <laughs> I've never. There's one drink on this list that I've never tried, and I'm gonna do I'm it. Cheating.
4: I'm. I'm looking ahead, trying to see which of this. Yeah, <laughs> don't give it. Don't give here. it away. But there, I won't. I won't. But I'm just trying to ponder which one. It
3: has an ingredient in it. That does not agree with me. It makes me nauseous.
4: <laughs> That's I've got three things on my list that are like that. I have uh, celery, cottage cheese, and bananas. So if you're going to have any cocktail on this list that has those three things in it, I'm out.
3: You're out. Nope. Get rid of I'm the out. banana yeah. daiquiri. I will say none of those are there. <laughs> uh, the banana daiquiri is not there. I'll say that. But again, these are, as, as Brad Mentioned earlier, these are influential drinks. These are cocktails that maybe during their day could have been the most popular cocktail in the world. They're, they're, they're things I think you're going to be surprised some of the entrance on the uh, some of the entries on this list because they're not the ones you traditionally associate with the modern craft cocktail movement. And by that I mean the modern cop craft cocktail movement is driven by these old classic cocktails. So. For instance, I'll tell you, you know, there's no Sazerac on this list. There's no Curry on this list. There's no Sidecar on this list. And those are drinks that you're going to see on a lot of top 20 cocktail lists, right?
4: Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. But I mean, those are just, you know, whatever middling lists. This is the definitive influential list. You you're know, not going to need another list. You won't
3: need another list. No. If, Throw if, out all your other lists. I'm assuming Throw people out. have lists attacked up to the refrigerator, right?
4: take them down get rid down.
3: of them you can put pictures of your kids up there pictures of whatever you want you're freeing up That's space you on your on fridge your yeah you don't want sure. stupid uh list by the new york times well, they know no.
4: they don't know shit what is the new york times who even writes even for them
3: wall street journal what is that who would dare read the wall street <laughs> journal no actually uh i say that because brad has a great piece recently in the wall street journal with post malone
4: great guy great great guy
3: how'd you get that one man
4: um, what I have to say is that I, you know, like any good interviewer, as you know, you need to go in and, and research your subject. And I will admittedly say that I did, I was not very familiar with him beforehand and had to learn. And, um, just a perfect example of, you know, really don't judge a book by its cover because here's a guy that has a lot of face tattoos. I would say that's the most, uh, you know, glaring, uh, feature of him, but he is a very soft-spoken gentleman and, um, try his rosette. It's actually uh, surprisingly delicious. It's not good too stuff. I'm not a Jose guy, but I'll drink it. Yeah. I,
3: you know, man, I'm I'm with you on that. I, I was not uh, overly familiar with Post Malone's music. And then a couple of months ago, I think when quarantine first started, he did this, uh, he did a thing yeah, online where he, he did Nirvana. And he played a bunch of Nirvana and I was blown away because I I didn't even know that he was a musician. I thought maybe he was just either rapping or whatever. And he can wail, man. He can wail on the guitar and he's, and he's got a great voice and a lot of the energy was, was just charged,
4: man. I talked with him about that specifically about what it was like to have Dave Grohl actually come out publicly and say, wow, dude, that was rad. You know, and and obviously that shook him to his core, because you could tell if you watch that performance, he Raised a lot of money for charity. But you can tell this dude loves Nirvana. So nobody's going to pay this close of a tribute uh, without knowing the songs. They didn't even play like Teen Spirit, which is quite a Nirvana thing to do, right? It's to not play like the number one song. No, you play like the real catalog.
3: And he didn't he, he wore a dress, I believe, which is something yeah, Kirk, he did. Kurt Cobain was was known to do from time to time as well. And now now I think we need to get into this list because people are probably sitting there with their shakers in hand, <laughs> thinking to themselves, what's that first drink? What is the what is number twenty on the list of the twenty most important cocktails of all time? Brad, you've already seen the list, so I you're not gonna be surprised here, but I will not be. But
4: you still you can feel the excitement though, right? There's a lot of excitement in here. I'm I'm my heart is pounding. I don't know if it's coming through on the microphone if you can hear the thump but it's happening.
3: I can see it. I can see it. His hair okay. is standing up on on end. So <laughs> without further ado, we're going to jump in. We're going to go from 20 to 11 on this episode. Countdown from 20 to 11 and then Brad and I'll be back for a quick recap at the end of at the end of that and then in the next episode, which is going to be available in 2 days, we will have the top 10. So here we go without further ado. Drum roll please. Coming in at number 20 on our list is a cocktail that was invented in Ireland in the 1940s by a chef by the name of Joe Sheridan. Now, at the time, airports didn't really have long runways to land these big planes. So what they had with these things, Pan Am had these things called flying boats that basically landed on the water, they were used to make these crossings over the Atlantic with large groups of passengers. So one night, a plane had landed, and Chef Joe was at, was brought in to, to warm up these passengers coming out of the cold Atlantic chill. And he brought some coffee, but he wisely added a little Irish whiskey and some cream to it. And legend has it that one of the passengers asked him if what he'd given them was Brazilian coffee, to which Chef Joe replied, "No." This is Irish coffee and a legendary drink was born and here to talk about this the number 20th and the entry on our list is one of the most seasoned and respected bartenders New York has ever produced. I will say that that's coming right from me Mr. Charles Hardwick.
5: How are you, buddy? I'm great man thank you. Thank you for the nice intro.
3: Tell me a little bit about the Irish coffee and why why it is not I you don't know why I made it number 20 but why it's on a why it deserves mention on a list like this.
5: You know, I can't say that it would, it would specifically or literally fit into that um, category of a, an eye-opener cocktail, but that's certainly the, the, the way that I think of it. You know, when I think of, of cocktails and drinks, I think of, like, you know, okay, yeah, what's in it? Sure. Okay, what's the name of it? But also, what does it do? What does it do for you? What can I tell my guests that it's going to do for them? Or or they may already know what it's going to do for them. And the Irish coffee falls into that firmly into that category because it does something for you, man. It wakes you up, but it's delicious. Got some caffeine, it's got some Irish whiskey in there. It's a little bit sweet, kind of desserty too at the same time.
3: The reason I put it on this list, again, this isn't the list of my favorite cocktails, the best. These are important cocktails. And one of the things I think that was really important about the Irish coffee is its story of how it came here. So there was a um, travel writer for the San Francisco Chronicle was over there in about 1945, and he tried the drink because they started serving the drink at the the airport over there, and uh, his guy's name was Stanton Delaplane, and he got back to America and he had fallen in love with this drink and he was a regular at the Buena Vista Cafe in San Francisco and he he knew the owner Jack Kepler and he's like we got to you got to try to recreate this drink and that's what they did but they never quite got it right and apparently or not apparently but what they ended up doing was hiring Joe Sheridan bringing him over to the states and he was the guy making Irish whiskey uh, Irish coffees in San Francisco so i just love that story and i think it's very important that a drink could travel that way and, and, and a lot of drinks ended up doing that.
5: That's another kind of beautiful thing about cocktails, you know is they tell you something about travel, about history, about people, about industry, all these different things can kind of converge around not every cocktail, but but I would I dare say most cocktails, you know, some more than others, uh, and certainly that's true of the Irish coffee.
3: And we, the one, uh, you know, our old friend Dale DeGraff, who's, you know, one of the great bartenders in the world, Dale, Dale's Irish coffee recipe calls for four ounces of coffee, an ounce and a half of premium Irish whiskey, he uses ClonTarf, but you can use whatever you want, and then a half ounce of Demerara sugar syrup, so that's two parts Demerara sugar to one part uh, water heated until the sugar devo- dissolves, and then cream, and you're going to Prep that drink and eat yeah. the
5: cream. He's like big on not sweetening the cream.
3: Don't sweeten you the cream. Know? Now, yeah, what? Yeah. Do you have any uh, special Irish coffee recipe, Charles? Uh,
5: you know, it's very, it's very close to Dale's. It's, it's, it's evolved. You know, I, I'll preface what I'm saying by saying that the Irish coffee is probably the first, second cocktail that I um, took really seriously around the late '90s, um, mid to late '90s. I, I would notice when it was made sloppily and badly it looked terrible so i wanted to find out i just knew that that way was it was not being made correctly most of the time just by looking at it. maybe it's because i have an arts background so you know i just kind of put my own like little you know observe observational kind of skills to work a little trial and error and eventually what i settled upon before i met uh, dale was coffee and uh some irish whiskey obviously yeah uh, but the key for me was the cream Uh, and that was to like, get it whipped just so and layer it on the top, not too much of it, like maybe a finger and a half or so, and just have it, have that layered look and just be just sweet enough. So, and then just get that layered look, man, and try not to let it drip down the side. (laughs) I don't like the, the nutmeg on the top business. Well, that's that. that's
3: a, That's always a, a, an, an article of debate over this drink, whether you're doing the person, I'm with you on that. I don't like the nutmeg on top either.
5: Yeah, I wasn't feeling that because, you know, I, I was like, I quickly got sort of conditioned or, you know, scolded out of that cinnamon on the cappuccino thing. You know, and that was a thing. It was like you put yeah. cinnamon. And it was like, nah, man, you don't put, that's if you got good coffee, why are you going to mess it up by putting cinnamon on this so you got ham whipped cream you got a pretty decent whiskey you got some good coffee so why put and that's that's
3: all you need and that's that's what makes that drink timeless and classic so that is that's number 20 uh charles hardwick appreciate your insights on this and you will be back on the. you will be making a, a couple more appearances on this list and i look forward to talking to you about uh about some more cocktails as we move on up the list
5: yes sir man i look forward to it too all right man thank you
3: So now we're up, we're at 19. We just had 20. The Irish Coffee, number 19 on our list. It's a fantastic drink, and here to talk to us and tell us all about it and give us some insight into this drink. He is the proprietor, one of my favorite bars in San Francisco, Elixir. He also recently co founded Fresh Victor. Fresh Victor produces fresh cold pressed juice based mixers for making craft cocktails and mocktails. We'll hear more about that. But please to tell us about the number nineteen drink. H. Joseph Ehrman H, how are you, my friend?
2: Good man. How you doing?
3: Yeah, it's great to see you now. Tell everybody out there what, what is the number nineteen drink on the list of the most important drink cocktails ever? Well
2: the mint tulip is about as classic a cocktail as you can get, and it and it really kind of rides off of the just the basic fundamental of a, of a cocktail being uh, from the late 18th century of just taking a spirit and making it easier to drink by by adding a little water and lengthening it and giving it a little bit of sweetener and then giving it a little bit of the kick of another flavor in this case uh, being mint as a call it a botanical if you will same kind of construct as a cocktail like the old-fashioned or the Manhattan that's got spirit, uh, water, sweetener, and a, and a fourth element, which in cocktail would be a bitter, but in this case it would be the the herb of,
3: of mint. Now, doesn't julep mean elixir? Well, I, I'd read somewhere that it is derived, juleps derived from julep, julepe, which is the Spanish word that I guess could be loosely translated as elixir something we we'll have to look that up but
2: i should probably know that
3: <laughs> it was a uh the, the early tight i think the early juleps were kind of for medicinal purposes which is the case with so many cocktails right
2: yeah and and it was just a simple uh a smash really you know and i like i have i have a number of uh julep cups in my collection um in my antique collection my, my favorite one is this is this is an i have an antique um it's a collapsible julep cup that, if you were a, like a gentleman drinking juleps, so this was, you know, it was really a southern drink, and if you were a gentleman that went around in high society, this is something that you might have with you because it it, it collapses down into nothing and then it fits into this really nice old velvet-lined leather case. So. It would be one of those things that you just you had in your pocket that you took with you when you traveled, and so a julep was a was a you know like punch was in its earliest days. The julep was something that you, a sophisticated person might drink.
3: That is a is that the ultimate baller move? Like if you just pull out your little case and go, hold on, let me just un- let me just unpack my julep cup that I happen yeah. to have with me. Oh. Oh, are we having juleps? Oh, we're having juleps. What a a weird coincidence. (laughs) I I I happen to have a julep mug in my pocket. Quickly here, H, what would you say the importance of the, the significance of the mint julep uh, in terms of bourbon drinks go? Could it be that the association with the derby that makes it so classic? What is it for you?
2: That would, I would think that the derby association is the thing that makes it most popular and well-known in modern times. But the thing that makes it, that bourbon plays such a key role in, in the flavor of the drink is the fact that bourbon's key flavors are the, the vanilla and, and um, cinnamon and, uh, and that come off and caramel that come out of the barrel. And the way that bourbon is made being only aged once in that charred barrel is that caramel and vanilla that comes out of the, the red layer of the barrel and is such a key component of the flavor of bourbon just goes so well With mint, it's mint, caramel, vanilla. I mean, it's just such a a beautiful flavor combination, and I think, and and in its simplicity, the the sugar makes it all pop and come together, and makes it really quaffable. And ice is is different and fun, like a slush, like a slushy or Slurpee. (laughs) You know, I think there's a lot of little things that make the simplicity make it wonderful.
3: Now, unfortunately, you can't go to Elixir in San Francisco right now. I don't think. I think they just shut us down again, but um when you can one day you got to do it but h if people want to get fresh victor where is it available
2: you can buy it for direct to your house at shop.freshvictor.com uh we have a growing network of retail and eventually within the next month or so we hope to be able to avail- be available direct to consumer through that website as well as some other retail partners
3: Fantastic. Well, uh, what a way to kick off this list. Charles Hardwick at 20 with the Irish coffee and now H. Joseph Ehrman at number 19 with the mint julep. And we got a lot of great bar uh, folks coming up on the rest of this list, including back. He'll be he'll be he'll be back with us again, not in this episode, but in the top 10, because H. belongs in the top 10, not only Once, but twice. H has two cocktails in the top 10 he's going to be telling us about. So, buddy, I'm looking forward to talking to you on the next episode as well.
2: Yeah, me too.
3: Next on the list of the 20 most important cocktails ever, at number 18, the first cocktail I ever ordered in a bar. Regular listeners to this show, trivia buffs, may know what this cocktail is. But to bring it uh, to bring it on to introduce this cocktail, I'm going to bring on a man who knows a thing or two about gin, which is the featured spirit in this cocktail. He is the proprietor, the owner, the founder of Forge Gin, and one of the finest individuals to work in the adult beverage world. My my good friend, Mr. Simon Ford. How are you, Simon?
6: Dan, I'm good. Oh, are you? I'm good. <laughs> Wait say that again. Better. <laughs> That was great. Simon,
3: Let's. <laughs> I know the people out there at home are just, they're chomping at the bit. They want to know what is the number 18
1: cocktail? The number 18 cocktail is one of my personal favorites with actually my own gin, just to get in a plug, but it's the Tom Collins. And the Tom Collins is probably one of the most historic and oldest cocktails that's still with us to this day and still gets drunk. And it's a simple mix of four ingredients. But not a lot of people know this, Mr. Dunn, and that is that it started life as a punch called the Limber's Punch. And it was this mix of gin and it was this mix of, uh, of this thing called capillaire, which was like this orange flower water syrup. And it was soda water and lemon juice. And it gets served in these punch, uh, punch bowls by an American bartender, incidentally, in London. Um, the Limber's Hotel was on Conduit Street and a lot of the merchants would go there. Now, the American merchants didn't so much like seeing the punch bowls, you know, being shared drinks, and they wanted a single-serve drink. So they started asking for this drink to be made specifically for them, and so it became one of the very first single-serve cocktails known in England. And so they named it originally the John Collins uh, after the bartender that had created it. Now, it's evolved in the capillaire, which is no longer really an available ingredient. It's become simple syrup, so now it's just gin. Fresh lemon juice, simple syrup. Shake that up and add, add tonic. Uh, add some soda water to it to add that sort of spritz. Refreshing as hell. But and let's not
3: let's not forget the distinctive garnish on this. You take a uh, an orange wheel and you wrap it around a Luxardo cherry, right?
1: Yeah, exactly. And make it look beautiful. A nice Luxardo cherry in there. So yeah, it was the first um, single serve now. When whiskey makes its way from the States across to England, they decide to make an, uh, a whiskey version of the drink, and they call it John Collins after him because he, after all, was from the U.S., and so the, uh, the gin version of the drink gets its name from Old Tom Gin and becomes the Tom Collins, but it all happened uh, in the uh, 1800s and sort of was sort of established in history and written down in a, in a book in 1860, so uh, it's very much one of the uh, great drinks that's still with us to this day.
3: Uh, Robert Simonson in the New York Times referred to the Tom Collins as perhaps the ultimate highball and one of history's most enduring cocktails. And I think Simon and I both agree on that one. And, you know, the thing about it, you, you mentioned that it is a descendant of, of punch, and I think that helps make it work for any style of gin almost. You know, you've got various styles and and um, but it's an honest, straightforward cocktail something elemental about it, but it, it, you can, you can play around with the Tom Collins with the different types of gin, right?
1: Exactly. And and, and in fact, if you, you know, I I mean, obviously I plugged my gin right at the top of this, but it's one of those drinks that you actually get to taste the gin in it in a very strong way. If you want to get the characters of a gin that you like out in a cocktail, then the Tom Collins for me is the one that, that does it. Another, another interesting fact, Dan, for the Cocktail Geeks is it, it was immortalized in uh, Jerry Thomas's Bartender's Guide, too, so it makes its way into that book. So um, that's an, 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 another big one for the Cocktail Geeks.
3: And now it has made it onto the What We're Drinking list of the 20 Most Important Cocktails Ever, weighing in at number 18. Simon Ford, always appreciate having you on the show and your wisdom, and you are going to be joining us again. You will be appearing again and again throughout
1: yeah I, I i'm i'm coming back for uh, any drink that really requires gin or someone that's been around as long as i have well and i
3: I'm, <laughs> we're having you on for the british accent i feel it lends a sense of gravitas to it uh it's very very sophisticated so thank you simon and we will see you again a little bit later on in the show and number 17 on the list is the cuba libre and here to talk about the Cuba Libre is an expert in all things Latin American cocktails. She is the owner of Leyenda in Brooklyn, New York, and she is the author of a brand new book. I'm holding it up right here. It's called Spirits of Latin America, a celebration of culture and cocktails with 100 recipes from Leyenda and beyond. Ivy Mix. Hello. Hi, it's great to see you. I wish I was seeing you in person, but we're, we'll Zoom it. We'll Zoom it.
6: <laughs> it's the way we're seeing everyone right now.
3: <laughs> so congrats on the book, first off. That's that's amazing. It's your first book, right?
6: It is my first book. Yeah. Uh, kind of like opening a bar. Like, it's like, oh, do I really ever want to do that again? So okay. maybe my only book, but certainly my first book for now.
3: <laughs> okay. And uh, so you are an expert. You you lived in Guatemala. You bartended in Guatemala. You've traveled all over Latin America. Let's talk about the Cuba Libre. What is the significance of this drink? Why did I put it on my list, Ivy?
6: Well, I mean, I think that there are certain drinks, right? Well, just to, just as a starter, X and cola, X and soda, is an extremely important cocktail in all cocktails everywhere. Like when I was working in Guatemala, for example, I didn't know how to make anything. Like if you asked me for we a Manhattan, I'd be like, I I don't know. Um, martini, even I'd be like cold vodka. I don't know, um, but if you ask me for a cuba libre or a gin and tonic or a whiskey ginger or something like this, these were things I knew how to make. And people in you know snooty snotty booze industry think that it's not important. You know what I'm saying? But they, they are important because it's a whole cocktail in and of itself. So especially in Latin American drinks and cocktails,
3: coal is a big thing.
6: Huge. Mexico drinks more Coca-Cola per capita, like tenfold compared to the rest of the world. There's so much soda is consumed, for better or for worse, mostly for worse, in, that, in that, that part of the world. And the Cuba Libre in particular, which, you know, the layman's term is a rum and coke, right, yeah. is super important for cocktails everywhere because, A, was one of the first ways that people kind of started drinking rum, also for better or for worse.
3: For, for historical context here, Bacardi played a role in the, in the, in this, right. In the development of the Cuba Libre.
6: That is, that is the, uh, that is how the story goes. <laughs> that is how the
3: story goes. So. My understanding of it was, it was back in like 1900 during the, uh, the, the uh, what was the damn war? Uh, one of the wars down there, uh, that soldiers, the Spanish American war, right. Wasn't that what it was? Yeah. Exactly.
6: and, Cuba Libre was made essentially to free Cuba, right? Cuba Libre, literally translation. So the deal was that it was kind of like one of the first (laughs) signature serves. You know, all these bartenders do all this brand work now that's like, signature serve, how am I supposed to serve this? And the signature serve was, you're a soldier, you need your daily ration of rum, because we're in Cuba, that's sugar cane, you know, capital, ground zero for sugar cane ground zero for rum. So the ration for soldiers, what to kind of give them force and fuerza was to give them a Cuba Libre, Cuba Libre, um, free Cuba. Um, and that was, yeah, the, the soldiers kind of fighting force, which is really interesting because even now when you go throughout Cuba and, you know, it's, it's obviously a communist culture, um, socialist culture and, people still have like rations of stuff. So you still get your rations of Rome and you still get your rations of everything. And it's kind of like a thing that's continued on in that culture, which I think is really interesting.
3: And, and you know, one of the things you touched on was the, the ease of making it. And that's kind of what was my motivation for putting it on the list and putting it where I did is the utility of a drink like that. It's easy. You know, when you're on the spot and you're in a busy bar and and the bar and you know your bartender's running and you're trying to get the attention, they finally that split second they look at you and you you're on the spot. You got to say it, rum and coke, or you know most people are going to say rum and coke instead of cuba libre, but it's an easy drink, yet it's classic. It's timeless
6: and it's delicious. I mean, my god, a nice piece of lime in with your cola and your rum and like you know, yes, it is a drink that traditionally has its roots in like Spanish style, light, clear rum. Like that's, that's the root of it, but you can do whatever, you know, like you can do a weird agricole, which is weird for something that's Cuba, but you know, but you can do things that are like super delicious. You
3: can play around with it. Yeah. Now do you, do you, do you recommend a lime in your Cuba Libre? I do. I don't
6: think it's a Cuba Libre without a lime.
3: Okay. Needs the lime. The lime has to be there and you're getting this information from an expert. Uh, Ivy Mix is the author of Spirits of Latin America, Celebration of Culture and Cocktails with 100 Recipes from Leyenda and Beyond. When you're in Brooklyn, you got to go to her bar. It's one of the greatest places to drink in this country or any other. And she can give you more information on uh, the Cuba Libre while you're there. Ivy. You're going to be back. You're going to be joining us again later on in this list. There's a couple of more drinks with you involved. So we'll be, ta- we'll be chatting with you on later in this episode and later in the next episode as well. But number 17 on the list of the 20 most important cocktails, Cuba Libre, Ivy Mix. Thank you. Awesome. Well, now we've arrived at number 16. We've already heard from some of the finest bartenders in the business. And now we're going to hear from somebody who isn't even a bartender at all. I don't even know what he does. I think he's unemployed. I, I don't even know why I'm having him on the show, but...
7: Um, I was a bartender, Dan. All I right, all right. Take it easy over there.
3: Yeah. <laughs> Joining us now, old friend of the show, uh, to talk about the number 16 cocktail on this list, the Boilermaker, is Mr. Tom Caltabiano. Tom, as always, love having you on. What's your experience with the bo- Since you were a bartender, I'm sorry, I got it wrong. Can you tell us what a Boilermaker is, Tom?
7: Uh, A Boilermaker is really just, and I don't want to put down the Boilermaker, but it is beer and
3: whiskey. It's a beer and a shot. It's a beer and a shot. So now you might be asking yourselves out there in podcast land, how the hell did a beer and a shot wind up on the list of the 20 most important cocktails of all time? I'll tell you how it ended up on this list, because it's a beer and you drop whiskey in it the simplicity of this drink and the and the balls on this drink yeah of course it belongs on our list right tom absolutely and nobody's saying oh, you know what i'm just doing beer
7: tonight when you when you're into the boilermaker territory right no i don't want to mix my you know there, there's no wimpiness associated with boilermaker in any way i mean you're just how do they make how do they make alcohol well they make it in beer let me have that and they also make a, you know what? Let me do that as well. So it's like, it's, it's a perfect combination.
3: And it's just, a, it's a, it's a classic and not in the way that say a Negroni is a classic or a Martini's a classic. It's a classic in that it is, it is such a working class adult beverage. It, it, the drink originated like 200 years ago and it was guys getting off their shift that worked, you know, 18 hours straight in the fucking mine and then they'd go right to the bar and they'd get out and they'd get their beer and they'd get their whiskey. And now there's a couple of ways you can do this. The traditional method is you, you hit the shot and then you drink the beer. But then that evolved to dropping the shot into the beer. Dropping the shot into the beer. You can also just pour the shot into the beer and then drink it that way. What's your preferred method of drinking a Boilermaker, Tom?
7: I think there's more style. First, I I just want to go back for a second. You're saying it's a working man's drink. Yes. So if you're hanging out with Warren Buffett or Bill Gates, you're not hearing two more boil makers. Probably.
3: It's not the sort of thing you're going to enjoy. You know, if you're at the uh, at the bar at the St. Regis, you're probably not going to see a lot of boilermakers. And by the way, I need to I need to bring this up because there, of course, is another drink out there that I have. I've had an awakening with this drink and I, it's named after an act of terrorism that has uh, that has ruined the lives of countless Irish people. So I will not I will not dignify that drink by oh. giving it any credit here on this show, although it was a good it was a pretty good drink. I used to like it. But uh, but uh, so we went with the Boilermaker instead of that drink. Yeah,
7: the Boilmaker's more universal anyway. And even though you are of that persuasion, dare I say, where that other drink is from. Yes. Uh, I think the Boilmaker is more universally recognized. And I think you're adding, once you do the dropping, we're talking about the depth charge now aspect of it, because it doesn't have to be dropping of the shot glass, you know, I- into there. But that just seems so much more dramatic. And if you're at the bar, you know, you, it just, you know, just, doing the shot and then doing the beer is not as uh, exciting as doing the, uh, and,
3: and nothing, I don't think anything signals to a potential mate. Yes, This is somebody, this is an estimable person there. Cause look yes. at it. Look at how he just dropped that shot right in there and knocked out his two front teeth. That's how quickly he slammed <laughs> that back shot glass, took it out. I, I want to hang with that guy.
7: Now, now that you bring that up, I think women, and I'm just when you say maid, I'm assuming for you a woman, but yeah. I, I don't want to make assumptions. Any
3: port in a, tor- a storm, Tom.
7: Yes, yeah. but women like decisiveness. Yes. And that is decisive. That, I don't know. I am kind of think, you know, give me that, put that in there, and I'm going to put that in my mouth, and don't go too far with the whiskey bottle, and don't go too far with the beer. Like, that's yeah. a decisive,
3: that guy knows I, I, what I, he that, wants. That, the man, he's a man of action. He's a man of nice Now I will also, we can add a little addendum to this. You could also substitute the Boilermaker for the Pickleback. Okay. And the Pickleback is whiskey and you chase it with some pickle brine, which is an equally, and that's a very popular drink within the bar community. A lot of bartenders drink Pickleback. So we could, if you wanted to, I'm not saying that you can fuck with my list on my list, on my list it's a, it's number 16 is the Boilermaker, but I'm just saying if you didn't want to drink a Boilermaker, but you wanted something similar, you could do the pickleback. Although you're not dropping, you do not drop the shot of whiskey into the pickle brine because I think that would probably kill you, it would explode or something, right? Yeah.
7: Uh, something terrible in your mouth, which you never want to hear from a doctor. No. Uh, no. Uh, so Dan, have you had many nights of Boilermakers? Oh, it-
3: I mean, especially during quarantine. I'm just home alone, dropping shots of whiskey into beers, probably 10, 15 times a day. I just do it throughout the day. Yeah. I think
7: just because in the scheme of things, everyone should experience a boil maker because a boiler maker, because when you, when you think about the, the, you know, cause there's going to be a snob right now who's going, why would you possibly do that to good whiskey? And why, you know, and so they're missing the point, right? This is a this is an intense drink that you're gonna to love to drink with your friends and there's some camaraderie. So if you were sitting alone drinking Boilermakers, I wouldn't judge, but it's not usually that environment that you're
3: it's there's a social element to the Boilermaker that you're that you don't quite get when you're home alone in quarantine.
7: Yes, and you're not coming out of a cold. So we line. could do
3: maybe we could do a Zoom Boilermaker night. We'll get a bunch oh, of I- people on Zoom and we'll just do Boilermakers all night.
7: I'd love to do
3: that, Dan. <laughs> that sounds like an episode. <laughs> yeah. Well, with that, I'm going to I'm gonna let uh, Tom Caltibiano go, and I, I, I thank you for joining us. Uh, Tom will be back, actually. He'll be making another appearance in the top 10, because I can't have a top 10 list without Tom Caltibiano in it. Tom will be back to talk about one of the drinks in the top 10 in our next episode. Tom, thanks for joining us. Thank you, Dan. This brings us to number 15 on the list of the most important cocktails ever and to talk about this drink you might know her from landa in brooklyn you might know her from her new book spirits of latin america or you might know her from uh from being on this list about five minutes ago uh because she's back again that's how much i missed her ivy mix how are you
6: i'm great happy to be here
3: yeah welcome back it's it's been a while will you tell the folks out there what the number 15 cocktail is on our list
6: then there is the mojito
3: wow and the crowd goes wild the crowd wow. hold on the wait the crowd's going wild oh they love it oh no come please calm down <laughs> ladies and gentlemen oh there they stopped okay all right
6: um, yeah the mojito which i would honestly put way further up on the
3: ah, I like it. It's time to get into some debate. All right. No, I want that. A little spirit of debate is good. Why would you? So the mojito, a
6: little history on the mojito. I talk about it in my book, The Spirits of Latin America, but not much of Latin America has a huge cult- cocktail culture to speak of, except Cuba, right? Cuba was this place that became very popular during Prohibition. People flooded down there and because I couldn't drink here, it's a quick boat ride from Florida. Right. And all sorts of people went down there, opened up bars and restaurants um, and the cocktail culture really boomed there. And one of the many, but important, this is probably the most eh, depending cocktail that stemmed from that era is the mojito. Pretty simple drink. It's basically a Daiquiri with mint on it, mint in it on ice. Yeah. Right. People can argue about, different variations like do you put it on crushed ice do you add soda water do you not but it has been every bartender's worst nightmare for eons
3: <laughs> right why is that
6: i don't know but everyone i remember back in the day people were like oh they want a mojito it's like oh why because you have to like muddle some mint i mean if you work in a cocktail bar a mojito is be the best thing that happens to you all night there's three pickups simple lime rum muddle some mint put some ice on it it's delicious uh it's refreshing i think a mojito is one of the best drinks around ever i know the mint julep was earlier on in the session it has family in the mint julep era our mint julep um category as well limey little sweet a little rummy refreshing as all get out minty yeah it's so good and it has its its history in such an important part of cock, of cocktail history like prohibition is what the cocktail like remember when cocktails a cocktail bar was synonymous with speakeasy well that sure. was obviously prohibition right so mojitos were like the anti-prohibition it's like you went down to this beautiful place in Cuba people were rocking out Ernest Hemingway was there everyone's slamming down mojitos because it wasn't the deep, dark alleyways of the United States We had to knock on a secret door. It was wide open windows, right? Not Manhattans and martinis, mojitos. So it's really, really important from a, um, from a, you know,
3: historical standpoint, feud, yeah.
6: Feud prohibition, you know,
3: <laughs> now I want to, I want to dive in you, you have, you're a little bit, I can tell you're a little bit pissed at me for putting it 15 where yes. on your list, on the Ivy mix list of the most important cocktails ever, where do you think the mojito would weigh in?
6: Honestly, I would put it, I would put it like, if not number one, I would put it up at like, at least the top five. Wow. Just because, hear me out. Just because like right now, especially in this time, I'm talking like, here we are in 2020. Yes, I live in Brooklyn and everyone can go get a good cocktail everywhere, right? It's not that hard. But if you go to other parts of the world right now, like everywhere, even, even in Brooklyn, even in New York, but like pe- everyone and their brother has a cocktail list and Mojito is going to be on there, right? So so many people who like don't understand cocktails and are like, eh, you know, I'm more of like a vodka soda drinker, whiskey soda, whiskey ginger drinker, t- gin and tonic drinker. Their first foray into cocktails is probably going to be a
3: mojito. Okay. You heard to hear from Ivy Mix. I, I've made a mistake apparently on this list, according to Ivy, according to Ivy. uh, But that's okay. I, I, I feel like somewhere in the top five, there's going to be something to make you happy. I'm going to tease that right now. I'm going to say there's a drink in the top five that will redeem me in your eyes. I hope, I really hope. Well, Ivy Mix, you're going to be back again and again and again on this list. And, and we love having you. So number 15, uh, the Mojito and Ivy Mix, thank you.
1: Hey everybody, this is
2: Ed Kowalczyk from the band Live, and you're listening right now to the second best voice from Pennsylvania.
3: What do we have here? Ah, uh, yes, Mac Weldon. Oh, how I love me some Mac Weldon. Mac Weldon is a premium men's essential brand that believes in smart design and premium fabrics. You probably heard about their industry leading underwear. Hell, I'm wearing a pair right now. They're so much more than just an underwear company. They really are one-stop shop for men's basics of all kinds. From socks to shirts to hoodies to their new adjustable storm chaser rain jacket. Mac Weldon's wares really are the longest-lasting, highest quality items on the market. They believe in smart design, premium fabrics, and simple shopping. I went to MacWeldon.com recently, ordered a whole bunch of stuff. Took me 10 minutes, and now I'm rocking a killer new basics wardrobe. I got some 18-hour Jersey Crew neck undershirts, a couple of pairs of A sweat shorts, and no-show socks. Mac Weldon really does value its loyal customers. That's why they've created the Weldon Blue loyalty program. Here's how it works. Create an account. It's totally free. Level 1, place an order for any amount, and never pay for shipping again. Level two, once you purchase $200 worth of products from Mac Weldon, not only will you continue to receive free shipping, but you will also start saving 20% on every order you make for the next year. Oh, and level two also grants you access to new products before they're released to anyone else, as well as free gifts added to future orders. And now, Mac Weldon has a special offer for you. What we're drinking, listeners. For 20% off of first order, your first order, visit macweldon.com and enter the promo code DRINKING. They want you to be comfortable, so if you don't like your first pair of underwear, you can keep it, and they'll still refund you, no questions asked. Mack Weldon's mission is simple, to make sure all your basics and beyond are smartly designed, and that shopping for them is easy and convenient. And I personally promise you this, Mack Weldon is better than whatever you're wearing right now. And now we've arrived at number 14. Number 14 is the first, and I believe only shot, on this list. And it's a kamikaze, which is uh, vodka, triple sec, and lime juice. Very simple. And you might be asking yourself, how the hell did a kamikaze get on a list like this? Well, here to tell you uh, with me, along with me, back again for his second appearance, uh, the great New York bartender, Charles Hardwick. Charles, how are you, man?
5: How are you, man? How are you doing?
3: I'm good. So the kamikaze, uh, you know, I. I the reason I put it on here is our, our our friend David Wondrich, who's a cocktail historian, he says the drink first appeared around 1976 and may have been the original shooter cocktail. We're talking about a cocktail in a shot glass. Went on to become a phenomenon, and I don't know anybody that drinks that hasn't had a kamikaze. And that's why I put it on there. It was all the rage. I, I remember when I first started drinking years ago. Everybody did shots of kamikaze. It was the easiest thing to order, right?
5: It was also like kind of a mnemonic, right? Because it's 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 almost like uh, the mother sauces in food, right? And you're like, well, you know, how do you get this? Well, you take this and that, and then so it's like, you know, you have your red devils and your Alabama <laughs> slammers and your slow, and comfortable. And it's like, okay, well, what's an Alabama slammer? And it's like, well, it's it's a kamikaze. And uh, I don't know. Uh, and, uh, and a red devil or oh, red devil was a kamikaze and an Alabama slammer. Plus, you know, like, so there's kind of these mixtures of these different uh, dr- drinks or shooters. And the kamikaze was the first one. It revolutionized things.
3: And again, the, you know, this list isn't the best cocktails of all time. It's the most important ones. I can't stress to you enough that it was simply not possible to go into a bar in the eighties and maybe even into the, into the nineties. And not see people ordering shots of kamikaze. This is it. Predates the so-called craft cocktail revolution that came back around. Prior to that, people weren't drinking sophisticated cocktails. They were drinking stuff like this, and they wanted shots, and they wanted to get drunk, and this was an easy one. Any any bartender could make this. You didn't have to be Charles Hardwick to be able to make a good kamikaze, right?
5: Yeah. Yeah. No. I mean, and you everyone had the ingredients, right? Like everyone had, you know, when we when you say lime juice, when we say lime juice in reference to this drink, we're talking Rose's lime juice, which is like essentially like kind of a, uh, you know, a cordial. Um, uh, and every bar had Rose's lime juice. They had that Rose's grenadine back there, that sort of neon red Rose's grenadine. Every bar obviously had vodka, whether it was Alexi or Papa. Yeah,
3: or- this was, we were drinking, this was bottom Bottom of the barrel uh, vodka, yeah,
5: right, out of, right out of the speed rack, triple sec. Yeah, it wasn't fresh uh, squeeze. Sque- yeah, yeah. Nobody
3: was. There was no Cointreau in there. It was triple sec, and it was cheap vodka, like you said, pop off, and then and then lime juice from a bottle. Not nothing fresh squeeze, but it was it was a phenomenon, and I think it probably set the stage for better shooters to come.
5: This is a drink that was also a really profitable drink for the bar, you know, because. Let's be real. You know, sometimes maybe, maybe it's a little bit more, you know, roses, lime juice in there than, oh, than sure. the other ingredients, you know, the person's had a lot of coffee.
3: I was going to ask you that when
5: you're, when you're attending bar
3: and I know you worked out on, uh, you worked out in the Hamptons, right. And some places like that before, when you notice people are getting a little too rowdy, they're having to, do you start to taper off the alcohol a little bit, maybe put a little bit more mixer in there than alcohol?
5: Yeah. I mean, definitely, you know, you, you want people to get their money's worth, but at the same time, you know, you're not, we're not, we're selling drinks, you know, and, and fun. We're not selling drunk.
0: Exactly. You know? So,
5: yeah. you know, you, and that can be a hard conversation to have, especially if there's a large group of people, they've had a few, you feel like it's winding down anyway. So why kind of leave things on a sour note? So, you know, maybe a little bit more, uh, Rose's lime just winds up in there. It'd be a lot more. It'd it depend who it is, you know, but sure. um, you try to be be fair and equitable to, to to what people's financial concerns are. And that's the thing about the kamikaze, too, was it, it could lend itself well to that, where you had that person who was like, every 10 seconds, they want another kamikaze.
3: And you'd see the trays of them. Like, you just, you know, you'd see a server with a giant tray, because- yeah the bartenders would make them and it would just be the thing where they'd ram all the shot glasses together and then just do a one big pour, you know, and it's the trays full of kamikaze, half the kamikazes on the tray, half of it's on the side. I was about to say that. It's
5: like, you're trying to pour, you know, <laughs> no fine straining here either. No, you know? because you know, it didn't no matter. on the, uh, yeah. the, close the gate on the, uh, yeah. on the Hawthorne strainer. It's like, you know, you're pouring out the side or you, or you pour it into the, small end of the shaker and then you pour from there, you know, but yeah, a lot of it winds up on the, on the old time, uh, plastic tray that has the little slip slip, uh, you know, the rubbery slip uh, guard on there.
3: Well, there you go. So that was it. The kamikaze, Charles Hardwick, uh, you will be joining us on the next episode where we do the top 10. You will be making an appearance and rightly so in the top 10, Charles Hardwick. Thanks for your insights on the kamikaze, man. Thank you. Number 13 on our big list, the number 13 cocktail is a drink that many of you are familiar with, I'm sure, thanks to a iconic motion picture. That drink, of course, is the White Russian. And here to talk about the White Russian, back with us from earlier, uh, she was just with us a couple of drinks ago, the Cuba Libre. (laughs) She's back from Leyenda in Brooklyn, New York, the great Ivy Mix. Hi. Hi! Welcome back. We missed you. I
6: missed you too, and I'm so excited to talk about the White Russian, which is like my favorite drink of all time.
3: All right, well, I'm going to throw out a little history real quick. This drink was was made and it was birthed in 1949 by a Belgian barman at the Hotel Metropole in Brussels. Okay, and obviously, you're thinking Belgium's not in Russia. That's true. The, the reason he named it, uh, the, it got the the Russian name. He, by the way, he invented the white Russian and the black Russian. And all that is, is that the black Russian is a white Russian without the cream. Uh, and we all know the main ingredients in this drink is uh, vodka and Kahlua and then the cream and the white Russian. And he named it the, Ru- the Russian because its main ingredient was vodka, which is best known. Uh, the best known vodkas at that time certainly came out of Russia. All right. Now let's get to the real reason we put this on the list. The Big Lebowski, right? It's got to be here. It's got to be here. Cultural significance.
6: So, you know, I wasn't... The Big Lebowski came out in the late 90s, 1998, I think. 98, yeah. uh, 98. And so I wasn't of a legal drinking age at the time. So, you know, I think the cultural significance of it... A, I mean, just like The Big Lebowski in general, is just the dude... You know, he, in the Big Lebowski calls it the Caucasian. It's it spans generations from everyone. Like my father happens to be a spitting image of Jeff Bridges, like spitting image.
3: Does he drink Do white know? Russians?
6: I force him to on occasion. My mother. So I, I was raised by hippies in Vermont. And my mom actually has gotten into the habit of making raw milk, white Russians. That's like her new thing. Um, but the cultural significance is massive. I think I can actually say for a fact. It is many the person's first drink across the United States of America. I think white Russians are like, it's like dessert. It's so delicious.
3: It's such a great drink. Yeah.
6: It's seriously a good drink and you can do them. And like the variations that you can do of them. I have one in the book called the big Karwinsky. That's like a Karwinsky mezcal and a cafe Amaro. Um,
3: and by the way, when Ivy mentions the book, we, we already talked about this earlier in the show, but it's Spirits of Latin America. It's just out. It's a fantastic book. It's got a hundred recipes from landa and beyond. Ivy has traveled extensively all over Latin America, and she is one of the world's preeminent experts on Latin American drinks, which is why we had her talk about the white Russian. Makes, <laughs> absol- <laughs> makes absolutely no sense. But you know what? Yeah. Neither does this list.
6: But yeah, I have a drink in the book that, that, that's a rip on the white Russian. And you can see them like throughout classic cocktail history, actually. Like Rishi Bacato has his Dominicano cocktail. Um, if you look at something like an apple rose, doesn't have any Kahlua in it, but it's got that cream on it. Right. And you can make them look really pretty. When I lived in Argentina, I used to go to this bar that did these white Russians and they, they had the heavy cream they have in South America. Sorry.
3: Being, are you being shot at? What's going on out there? It Rather sounded that like a rocket went by you.
6: Crash, crash, crash truck. Okay. <laughs> when I lived in uh, Argentina, I used to go to this bar that had this big, they call it second cream, just like thick cream and the white Russian. It's just like, you're going to be hard pressed to find a case you're drinking a white Russian, my personal opinion.
3: You know, of the drinks that we have already talked about on the show, the, the entries that we've already had. And that includes, I'll recap real quickly, number 20 was the Irish coffee, number 19 was the mint julep, 18 was the Tom Collins, 17 the Cuba Libre, which Ivy spoke to us about, 16 mm-hmm. was the Boilermaker, 15 Mojito, 14 Kamikaze, and now the White Russian. I would say without without doubt, this is certainly the most confectionary cocktail, the, most, the one that feels the most like dessert comfort, you know, uh, it's just... It's sweet, but not cloyingly so. I think the vodka sort of tempers it a little
6: bit. Oh, totally. And it's actually kind of a hard cocktail to balance, you know? Like, it can be. Um, And and now there's so many different coffee liqueurs out there because the espresso martini has been having a crazy comeback, thanks, Australia. But uh, yeah, you can really make it a cool drink. And I think we're going to have one tonight. It's rainy and crappy in New York. I'm just going to go and, like, slam down some white Russians. Maybe I'll watch the Big Lebowski tonight.
3: There we go. Well, that's what we're, that's what we're hoping for. Well, listen, Ivy Mix, I I appreciate you joining us for this and you are going to be back in the next episode. The top 10 will be in the next episode of this and you'll be back talking about, uh, some of the, uh, some, I don't want to give it away. If I say anything, I will give it away. So I can't, but let's just say this, Ivy will be back in the next episode talking about a few more cocktails with us. Always great to see you and, and we'll see you on the next episode. Great. See you there at number 12 we have reached number 12 on the what we're drinking list of the 20 most important cocktails ever not to be confused with the best cuz i wouldn't i wouldn't dare say i know what the best cocktails are but i know what the most important cocktails are and here to talk with me about the number 12 cocktail which is a very fascinating one and we're going to get into it she is one of the finest People to make drinks in all of Los Angeles and all of the country, I'd say. And you can follow her on her Instagram at Bad Birdie. Welcome to the show, Bad Birdie or Birdie. We can just do Birdie. How are you?
0: Yeah, good. How are you, Dan? Thanks for having me.
3: Thanks so much for doing this. And uh, you want to tell us, you want to tell us what the number 12 cocktail is on this list? Uh,
0: Number 12. What did you, what
3: did we? It's the Mai Tai.
0: The Mai Mai Tai. Tai. Yeah, the Mai Tai.
3: And like and like a lot of cocktails that we've already talked about on you know on this list, we're going to talk about. There are competing origin stories to this drink. Mainly comes down to two people that uh, claim to have invented it. One is a guy named yeah. the name of Victor Bergeron, better known as Trader Vic, and then the other guy is Don uh, Don the Beachcomber. Uh, yep. Says that he invented the drink. Regardless of who in- invented it, it is a fantastic drink, don't you think?
0: Yes, yes, and I think that's. Uh probably the common story with a lot of these uh, classic cocktails some of the most influential um you know cocktails of history there's a lot of uh, discrepancies of you know who made it first and who, who claims it you know um what is but, it
3: about the Mai Tai that you
0: so the Mai Tai you know kind of began with the the tiki movement and um over the years it became highly misinterpreted as far as like the recipe goes and the ingredients go but the drink was so popular back in the 1940s and 50s that um, they were even low on uh, rum supplies. Rum supplies started to deplete because this cocktail was so popular. Because
3: people were going so crazy for it.
0: Yes, yes, they loved it. But um, I think, uh, you know, the guy who claims the throne, who has a stronger claim to the throne is, is Trader Vic. Um, you have claims from Don the Beachcomber. He said Don Beachcomber pretty much says that uh, Trader Vic copied a recipe that he had and the recipe he was talking about, what this was this drink that he made called the QB Cooler,
3: which he said he invented back in the in the early 30s, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah
0: but the the recipes are very different. Different. The QB Cooler has about double the ingredients that the Mai Tai does. So I think uh, if I had to pick a winner here, I'm definitely going to say Trader Vic.
3: The reason I have it on this list is because it is truly one of the great, if you want to say, exotic cocktails, and definitely. it and it ushered in. So much more. So many other great uh, tiki drinks came in after this. But the Mai Tai is really kind of the one I think that you could put up on the pedestal, right?
0: Yeah, for sure. I mean, um, you know, it kind of highlights, it's the first cocktail that really highlights Jamaican rum. And Jamaican rum, you know, has this tendency to have these like really funky notes to it. Um, so the Mai Tai really highlights that rum perfectly. And it wasn't until like, I want to say like the 1950s when the when the Mai Tai came to Hawaii and that's when you start to see these different recipes with pineapple juice and orange juice. And they did this to make the recipe sweeter for tourists that were that Well, they were doing it
3: on, I think Hawaii. they were doing it on like a, like Royal Caribbean or something like they yeah. were doing it on boats, yeah. right. It, and, yeah, yeah. And, and that was, uh, was Bergeron got hired, uh, tra- Trader Vic got hired to do that right on these, mm-hmm. on these shipping lines. And then that, um, and then I think you, uh, I remember it from, um, the blue Hawaii, the Elvis Presley movie. Yeah. You know that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> And then I, I also did some research that I guess Richard Nixon was a big yeah,
0: mai tai. <laughs> Crazy.
3: All right. Well, we can get past that, but then the, uh, you know, so it's a drink though. How would, if, if we were coming in, mean, if we were going to come in and I order a mai tai, how are you making my mai tai?
0: Okay. So, I, I, the way I make it, I'm definitely going to use Jamaican rum, some lime juice, Cointreau and or some, uh, Trader Vic's recipe calls for a little bit of simple syrup, but I really don't think you need it. Um, so I tend to leave it out when I'm making it either for myself or for my guests.
3: Now, are you, uh, are you okay with its position on this list at number 12? Do you feel comfortable with this drink at number 12?
0: Oh yeah, definitely. Okay. Definitely.
3: Well, yeah. here's the exciting news is a, we get to talk to you and even more exciting. We get to talk to you again. Uh, yes. Bertie will be back. Uh, in the top 10. We're going to be back uh, twice, actually. There are two drinks in the top 10 that Bad Birdie's going to tell us all about. And I really want to thank you for joining us on this episode, and we'll see you on the next one. Next up on the WWD list of the 20 most important cocktails ever, number 11, the final one we're going to do on this episode, number 11 is is a drink that in recent years has experienced an explosion in popularity, but it's been around for quite some time. It's a gin-based drink, and whenever I want to know something about gin, I go to this man. You know him. You love him. He was on the show a little bit earlier. The proprietor of Ford's gin, Mr. Simon Ford. Welcome back, buddy.
1: Thanks, man. And it gives me great pleasure to announce number 11 because this is an ultimate bartender fave. This is the drink that is ultimately making people feel cool when they go into the bars and order one. It's it's more than just a cocktail. It's become a lifestyle and in at number 11 it's a drink called the Negroni. We love the drink. It's a very simple drink, right? Very very simple drink. So it was uh, allegedly created at a bar Casoni in Florence, Italy. Um, and and it was definitely created there. The alleged part is that it was uh, mistakenly made as an Americano. It was named after Count Camillo Negronian, who it was made for, and the history of it was um, captured by uh, a bartender down the road called Luca Picci, who um, was at a place called the Café Revoir, also in Florence. And so we have this history. We've been drinking this this drink that essentially... They added gin instead of soda water to an Americano, and here we have this drink that is a mixture of Campari, which has definitely had a major comeback with this drink, sweet Vermouth. So nice, sweet Italian muth and gin, equal parts. I like to up the gin, but then you knew I was going to say that. And I think that what's been amazing for me is I've seen the comeback of this drink, and I've seen how. Attitudes have changed uh, to it, you know. It, when it was first being drunk by bartenders, it was in a similar way that Fernet Branca is or Malort, you know. It was like this, um, this coded uh, here's something pretty disgusting that you, you, you know. And it's evolved into something that we really like. I remember bartenders coming up to me and saying, you know, the great thing about Negroni is you can never mess this drink up. You could go into a dive bar and you could ask them to just put these three ingredients in with their bad ice and and they start with your own finger and this thing would taste good of course we you and i both know that that's bullshit but that's how we were drinking the gronies at the beginning of this craft cocktail movement we were literally going to any bar
3: well you know i not you talk about the beginning of it the very first time i ever had it uh way back in 2000 I went to Turin, Italy for the um, grand Martini Grand Prix of bartending. And one of the people that was long on the trip who I just met then was now become a dear friend, Dale DeGroff. Uh, Dale is arguably the most uh, uh, decorated bartender alive in, in the United States right now. And uh, so Dale uh, introduced me to like a wealth of libational pleasures when we were over there in Turin and it really kind of opened my eyes to the beauty of a well-made cocktail So at his urging, I tried my very first Negroni at Cafe Torino in in Turin, Italy, and then I had my second and my third, and it was a revelation. You know, again, basic, it's gin, sweet vermouth, and Campari, but when you stir it together, it is a delectable aperitivo. And, uh, oh, and remember the orange twist garnish. It's a sacred and essential component of this cocktail. If you're tempted by lemons, resist.
1: (laughs) I have to say that it's funny that you said it was Dale because I watched Tony Abaghanem, another great bartender that uh, really helped kickstart the bartending scene. And uh, Jack Bezaden, who, who was based out in San Francisco, just, constantly tell bartenders, you need to drink this drink. You need to drink this drink. And I swear to God, if they don't have shares in Campari, I'm not sure what, sure what their uh, motives were. But Jack even went on to create something uh, called the 10 Negroni Club, where he would go around with this giant cocktail shaker and with with 10 friends and have them make 10, ten Negronis. And he was like converting people one after the other. And I think this is like 2002. And now it is probably... Yeah, the most popular bartender drink we know of. I, I would say so. Our, our old
3: friend, our late, the late great uh, Gaz Regan, Gary Regan, was a uh, you know <laughs> Gary wrote about that, and his he wrote a book called The Negroni, Drinking to La Dolce Vita, and uh, <laughs> really got into it. And and if if Gaz loved that drink, I love that drink, and that's why we put it at number eleven on our list. The Negroni It's very exciting. We've got ten more. We've got 10 more, but you're going to have to wait till the next episode. And something tells me uh, Simon Ford will be joining us in that next episode. Something tells me, because I booked him on it already, Simon's got three drinks in the top 10. There you go. That's all I'm going to tease right now. Three drinks in the top 10 will be described, will be explained by the man himself, Simon Ford. Simon, thank you for joining us today, and we'll see you in the next episode.
1: Thank you, Dan Dunn.
3: Hey, all. Being on lockdown these past few months has been tough on all of us. Something I've found to be extremely helpful in maintaining my sanity during this challenging time is sticking to daily routines. Maintaining a sense of structure can help prevent you from feeling overwhelmed, and I highly recommend you keep doing the little things you used to do on the regular in the pre-COVID era, like shaving, for instance. And fortunately, Harry's is here to help you look your best while saving you a little cash along the way. Yes, Harry's has your grooming needs covered with high-quality blades as low as $2 each, delivered straight to your doorstep. Cut out the middleman manufacturing blades in a German factory that's been honing the craft for a century, which means you get incredibly high-quality blades at factory-direct prices. And during this trying time, you'll feel a little better about your purchase. Not only is Harry's donating 1% of proceeds to nonprofit organizations devoted to helping provide access to better health care for men and veterans, they're also giving $1 million worth of shaving supplies to hospitals across the U.S. That's what I call good karma for you and Harry's. What We're Drinking listeners can redeem their Harry's trial set at harrys.com slash drinking. That's harrys.com slash drinking. You'll get a weighted ergonomic handle for a firm grip, a five-blade razor with lubricating strip and trimmer blade, rich lathering shave gel with aloe to keep your skin hydrated, and a travel blade cover to keep your razor dry and easy to grab on the go. So go to harrys.com slash drinking to start shaving better today.
4: Stay thirsty, my friends.
3: Wow, I I just I feel like we've gone on a, quite a journey.
4: That was exhausting. Yeah, I, I feel like I need to take a nap.
3: And especially because you were, uh, Brad was drinking all of those drinks as we went. Incredible. I'm, yeah, he just. I important. mean, he just. I you you should have seen it and whipping up that Negroni, the last one. He had to, he was trying to get that in. And how is that Negroni <laughs> you're having right now? Tasty.
4: Yeah, I have to. I just made a little tiny little mini mini version of the Negroni in there, but I love the Negroni. If it were up to me, Dan, like the Negroni would be higher up on this list, uh, if not number one or two.
3: Well, that's what I want to ask you. So I, I, I want to get your opinion. So we started off with the Irish coffee mm-hmm. and then we ended with the Negroni it, 20 was Irish coffee. 11 was Negroni. How do you feel about the list? The placement? I be honest with me. Tell me that I may, is there any there that you don't agree? You really don't agree with or any, you know, that you think should have been higher, lower, not on the list at all.
4: Well, there's certainly some, uh, some curious decisions like the, the kamikaze, For example, if I was, uh, you know, 22 years old and back at my uh, college dive bar, I would definitely say that that's uh, lower on the list than it should be.
3: Kamikaze came in at 14. Now, uh, here's how I make my argument. I believe, and, you know, Dave Wondrich, the great uh, spirits historian, said that the kamikaze was the first cocktail shooter. So what I think that did was introduce a lot of people, because back in the day, people were just doing shots. And I think it introduced a lot of people to the concept of mixed drinks in shot form, and, it, and and the other part was it was just so huge, it was just so huge, and it's tasty. I'll drink a kamikaze right now. If I, I yeah. really would, I mean, you know, but I get it. I could I could see where in another list that's not on there at all.
4: Also, my, mai tai uh, specifically that drink. I love a proper mai tai. But I would say the variation, there's no other drink on, on the list that's so such a great degree of variation between the good prime uh, prototypical example and its bastardized uh, replication that has come to be known. So an actual Mai Tai, I would put maybe in my top five because it's just a beautiful drink. And then, you know, obviously, as we've come to know it as just like this fruit juice sugar bomb, um, that's, that's a different drink altogether.
3: I was thinking you might have a problem with the Boilermaker being in it, which weighed in at number 16. But maybe you, yeah. you get, I mean, I, what it was to me was the beautiful simplicity of a beer and a shot.
4: Now, do you drop it in?
3: I, okay. I do, but yeah. you don't have to. You can pour it in. Yeah. You can mix it in. But it's also that that thing has endured for 200 years or more. Where, Absolutely. You
4: know, it's a working class cocktail, if you will.
3: But I think there are people out there that are going to argue it's not a cocktail at all. It's a beer and a shot. So yeah, and to those people, I say this: screw yourself. You can go to hell.
4: <laughs> also, in terms of you know, we're talking about inspirational, I- influential. So many drinks that in my earlier days of drinking involved dropping something into something else. Whether it's the you know, I don't, I don't, the, don't uh, say
3: that drink. We we do not okay, we do not okay. speak of. I, I mentioned I earlier. Know, I know. There's another drink, and everybody knows it. And it's probably more popular. But we don't speak of it because it's, it's a very, I don't, I think it's awful. It's very problematic.
4: Yes. Um, But also the sake bomb. Okay. We can say that one. We can. Okay. And, and, and I drank a lot of those, a lot of those, there's a place, forget the name of it over there in Westwood. And it would be, uh, you know, $10 for enough to make like 12 sake bombs. And when you're like on a college student budget, that's quite an enticing offer right there. And you put it over the chopsticks, you bang on the table, it comes in, that drink doesn't really exist if the Boilermaker hadn't come before, you know,
3: I, here's the thing. I I just, you can argue whether or not dropping a shot into a beer or into sake or a Guinness, which is beer is a, is a cocktail. Okay. The one that we're, the one that we're dancing around, I think is probably the closest thing to a cocktail because the shot contains uh, a mixture of, of
4: spirits. Of course, with that one particular drink, it's a cocktail that you need to drink immediately. Yeah. because you don't want your cocktail to curdle. If down. it curdles That's it's bad. And, and
3: I'll admit I used to drink it all the time and then I realized that you know naming a drink after an act of terrorism that is uh, you know uh, that has ruined the lives of countless thousands of people uh, again by the way a drink invented by an American. Uh yeah, yeah. so
4: uh, anyway we, we you know what drink we're talking about. We should modernize the name. I mean I still love the drink. Uh when for for a pounding drink
3: Bono, how about Bono's Bono's God Complex? Why don't we call it that? <laughs> Everybody can get behind Bono's God Complex, right?
4: Do you have time for a quick Bono joke, or yeah. is that not going to work out? Uh, do, you me, do you want me? Do you want me to tell you the Bono joke, or you have <laughs> there's, one? There's the famous There's the famous concert, you know, YouTube uh, concert, and Bono just stops in the middle of like "With or Without You," you know, like right at this climactic moment, just stops and it just goes dead in the audience, and he's like, he just starts clapping, he goes. And he's like, every time I clap my hands, a child in Africa dies, and somebody screams out, and they're like, "Well, stop clapping your fucking hands, then!" <laughs> All right, I got one for you. Apologies to everybody in Ireland that had to hear that ridiculous. Terrible. Accent, but All right, this
3: guy right. dies. He's a huge rock and roll fan, man. He just loves classic rock, and he dies, and he and when he wakes up, he's sees at the the Sunset Marquee on Sunset Boulevard, a very famous rock and roll hotel. And he's like, what, what's going on? And St. Peter's there to greet him. And he says, what am What am I, what's happening? St. Peter says, well, you've died and you've gone to the Sunset Marquee in heaven, which is where all the dead rock stars go when they die. You're such a huge fan that you're going to spend eternity here. St. Peter says, let me take you to your room. So they start walking down the hall and they go by one room and the, the doors open a little bit and he hears this, just this jamming coming out of there and he looks in and there's Jimi Hendrix uh, with Keith Moon on the drums and Janis Joplin singing, he says, "Oh my, Saint Peter, is crazy! Look at that! It's Jimi Hendrix and Janis Joplin and Keith, and Keith Moon and Saint Peter says, yeah, 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 it's rock and roll heaven! Come on, come on! This is where the, all the dead rock stars go.' Let's, we got to go. We got to get to your room." And then they go by the the next room and he and here's more. And he looks in there and and who's in there? It's Amy Winehouse and Kurt Cobain and and they're 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 writing down they're writing some tunes together and they're jamming. And he's Saint Peter. I, I just can't believe it. I, this is incredible. All my heroes and and Saint Peter says, "Hey, I, I told you this is rock and roll heaven. This is where all the dead rock stars go when <laughs> they die." So they continue down, and then there's one where the door's wide open, and the guy looks in, and he sees uh, Bono in there. He's dressed up like the you know the whole fly era Bono, and he's got the leather on, and he's got the glasses, and he's slicking his hair back and checking himself out in the mirror. And the guy says, um, "Saint Peter, there's Bono, but uh, but Bono's not dead." And Saint Peter says. Oh, no, no, that's God. He just thinks he's Bono.
1: <laughs> and there All you have right.
3: it. And on that one, we're going we're gonna to wrap up our, our top, 11, 20 to 11, we're going to wrap up here on our list of the 20 most important cocktails ever. Brad Jaffe, where, do, where can people find you on the social medias?
4: Uh, let's go with uh, Instagram, which would be my last name is Jaffe, J A P H E. So journeys underscore with underscore Jaffe. Very easy, very simple That's for the a little people confusing. out
3: there. I'm at the <laughs> I'm at the imbiber. To imbibe is to drink. The imbiber. That's easy. So go there. I really do invite you to drop some questions, comments on, on what you've heard so far on the list. I'm going to be posting videos of all of the the bar folk that uh, that participated, talking about the drink. So go check that out. I'll be putting that on my Instagram, on my Instagram stories. And check out Brad as well. And Brad's going to be back on the next episode, the top 10. I'm so excited I could jizz in my pants right now. That's how excited Jeez. I am. And in fact, that's I got to get off and go take care of that. But
4: we'll see you on the next it's- one. Two days from now, right? I'm just going to sit right here. Just not going to move. I'm not going to change. <laughs> just going to sit right here.
3: Thank you, Brad Jaffe, and thank you everybody out there for listening. We'll see you in the top ten next episode. Cheers.